0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open them to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts, chapter 26. This morning, I am uh, splitting my message into two parts. And uh, the first part is going to be uh, a little bit of a, a kind of uh, picking up where we left off last Sunday. Last Sunday, we did a State of the Church and we talked about where we were as a church and all the things that had happened there in 2017. And we had mentioned about six measures. In fact, we even gave out cards to everyone. It was your Live card, and on the back of it, it had the six measures. And uh, we have some more of these that are out in the Resource Center, and also even have some rulers uh, that we gave out last year that have got the six measures on there. And uh, we constantly talk about this because it's not just a marketing gimmick. This is really something that I hope we can embrace because all of us want to know, how am I doing in my Christian life? How, how am I measuring up to what it means to be a transformed person who can go out and influence uh, their world? And so we've given you six questions that every one of us needs to ask. And we talked about that last week. And we talked about pretty well how our church had done that but then I began to think, I said, well, let me see if I can give you some handles for 2018 of how specifically for you and for me that we can make these become a reality. And just give you, some, give you some help to kind of nudge you along as we're here in the first month of this year. And so we're going to just walk through these quickly. And then we're going to, as we get to the fifth one, we will then morph right in to the messages to where we're going that will tie in with that. So hang with me. It will all make sense in the end. Are you ready? Number one, the first measure that we uh, talked about is have I met with God today? Have I met with God today? Well, let me give you a challenge for uh, 2018, and that is for you to read the entire Bible in 2018. He said, well, where do I start on that? Well, everything you need to know in life is where? Google, yes, that's correct. If you will just Google, uh, if you Google, you can go online and you can find a Bible reading plan. There is a plethora of Bible reading plans all throughout, uh, all throughout the web. Go find one that fits your need and, and begin to start it. Now see, some of you are going to say, oh, I would have loved to have done that, but today's already the 14th and I'm 14 days behind and I'll never be able to catch up. Let me ask this question. How many of you have ever done like a, a, a Netflix binge? Anybody here done like a Netflix binge? Yeah. Or maybe you did a Star Wars binge. I'm going to watch every one of them from the first to the end. Pirates of the Caribbean binge. Janice and I did a Parenthood uh, a binge. We love that series, you know. You sit there and you just binge on them. What if you just put the remote down for a moment and did a Bible reading binge? You could do a Bible reading binge... And you could catch up to where you could start a plan. And so when you open that first place, wow, I got to go through the book of Genesis. Well, hey, just do a binge, sit down, read through the book of Genesis on there. Take a breather a little bit, get a sip of water, eat a little thing, sit back down, read it, just get it. And all of a sudden, guess what? You are caught up on that. Okay. So have I met with God today? Set a goal. Read through the entire Bible, 2018. Maybe you want to read in a different translation. I'm doing something I've never done before, and it's a chronological Bible reading plan. It's fascinating. And it just takes you on a chronological way of going through the Bible. Pick whichever one you want. Just do it. Number two, am I giving or taking? Am I giving or taking? We all fall into one of two positions. Either we're people that are giving or we're people that are taking. And so... It can be both your finances, it can be your time, it can be your expertise. Am I giving or am I taking? So, keeping up with this measure, I want to get your hearts prepared to be someone who's going to be uh, a giver. Now, in, um, uh, it's kind of like an elevator speech that we have about our church and what's happened over the last 15, 16 years. And that is that in the last 16 years here at our church, We have invested $26 million into our campus to where we've either built new buildings or we've refurbished everything on this campus. And at the same time, we've given $34 million to missions. We've done ministry in 50 states. We've done ministry in 80 countries. And over 200 people have walked out from our church to be live-sent all the way around the world and commit their lives to that. Now, when I make that statement, and especially when we talk about the facilities, there is an elephant in the room. And it's this room. This room that we call the New Worship Center. The New Worship Center on April 30th, 1989, held its first service. We're coming up to it being 29 years old. 29. So it's almost 30 years old. Now, I don't know how many people would walk into a 30-year-old room and say, hey, this is our new room uh, over here. But we think that because it's really nice. We've kept it up but some things need to be changed. We need to change the carpet, and we're going to need to change the pews. And there's going to be some updating that needs to take place, and there's some technology changes that need to happen also. Now, I know for some of you, it's going to be very difficult to not live with the carpet, all right? And and the reason I say that is because this is the original carpet. Now, most people that have come to visit, and they'll just just friends from out of town, they go, no way, because it really does look in good shape. And if you look really close, we've got a lot of bad areas, but we hide them very well. But it's it's time for that carpet to change. And unless you get too upset, I just want to let you know that when we pull this carpet, we're sending it to the Smithsonian Institute because no carpet has performed like this carpet has, okay? This is unbelievable, truly, what it's done. And our pews are nice, but they're falling apart. And uh, some of you, you just crossed your legs and it it rattled a little bit or, or things are chipping off. We know we've got to make those changes. And so we need to then come to this room and we need to update this room. And we're beginning some initial conversations and if i could just give you a ballpark uh, future look is our hope is that we could do a capital campaign this fall and if we did a capital campaign this fall and then we're able to get the pledges then we could start work in 2019 around may and be out of this building and go from may till sometime in the fall and see how long it'd take to get that work completed. And then we'd move back in here. And we would work out all the, where we're gonna have our services and everything. Those are future conversations. But I just wanted to let you know that. And also wanted to let you know that we did such an excellent job of giving this past year, and we had a big overage that we 're trying to take a portion a good portion of that overage and we 're setting it aside to go towards that project so we 'll already have kind of like some seed money some, uh, uh, some help to get started with this. so you just need to know that from a financial planning standpoint that we 're trying to put everything we can to set it aside for that project for that to, that to take place but The question is, are you giving or taking? So I'm hoping at the first of this year that you'll already begin to be praying and say, God, I want to have that sort of that giving mentality. I want to be one that's willing to give and even sacrificially over and above because of all the things that that I have experienced here and how God has moved in here, then Lord, I also want to, to help with that. So we'll, we'll, as more information comes, naturally we'll let you know that. But we wanted to let you know, that's going to be coming down the road. So am I giving or taking? The third uh, measure that we have is who are my 2AM friends? And I'm here to help you out because I've got about 10 people over here that don't have any friends and, no, I'm just kidding you. And we're gonna introduce you to them. 2 a.m. friends. People say, "Well, how do I meet that 2 a.m. friend? How do I meet that person that uh, that we can have that transparency and it can can you know kind of be like minded on there?" Well, let me tell you something that uh, that through Chad's leadership and our education staff's leadership, that we have started is called adult discipleship groups, and they're just called D groups. The young people are used to it; they've had disciple they've had D groups uh, all throughout junior high and high school, but. And college has them too, but we're starting this for adults. And as you come together in a D group, it's not something that's six or 10 weeks, it's longer. It's a longer commitment. And it's one where there will be gospel conversations that will go on, there will be a growth in spiritual maturity, but yet there will also be a transparency of friendships to where people begin to open up and just begin to talk. And what our hope is, is that as you get involved in one of these groups and it, it goes over a longer period of time, there will be people in that group that you'll sort of connect with. You will have already let down the mask, you've opened up, and this could be one of those partners. Uh, we started uh, last spring with uh, 29 people, and then we built leadership, and we came to this fall, and we've got 101. For the spring, we've got 200. When we come to the fall, it's exponentially growing to where we'll be able to have 400 people that can be a part of these groups. So this is our website. And just put the backslash, you get groups. If you go to that, you've got all the uh, questions that you're answered. They've got a uh, frequently asked questions um, section there. Go through that and check it out. And you say, you know what, I may want to do that. I may want to become a part of one of those groups, Even if you've already got a 2 a.m. friend, these are excellent to grow deeper in your walk with God and build relationships with others. But if you really don't have that person, to me, it's a great option that you have. Number three was, is my passport current? Is my passport current? Now, <clears throat> we use this as, a, as just a phrase to, um, to help you to be thinking about, am I available? That's why we use that phrase, am I available to go? Now, I would encourage every person here to get a passport, every person here. You know, they're good for, I think, 10 years. So just get a passport because all of a sudden when an international opportunity comes up, you're ready, you can go, you can be a part of it. But when we say, is my passport current, it means am I available to do what I believe God wants me to do? Am I available to take advantage of a ministry opportunity? And there are things in your life that you can control and make decisions on. You can control your finances, you can control your time, and in many instances, you can control your health. And so if I try to take care of myself physically so I'm healthy enough to be able to do this, that's good. If I take margins with my time, I I look at my calendar and I said, okay, I'm going to put enough time in there. And then finances, I'm not going to be so drowning in debt. I'm going to have finances so if it costs money to do this, I can do it. Now, I'm not just talking about going on some exotic trip. I'm talking about just even going downtown and working with Urban Purpose. I'm talking about being able to go to the hospital to talk to someone who's, uh, who's going through some surgery that just needs somebody to be there. I'm talking about going by the house of someone who's bereaved, that you can just be there and pray with them. And sad to say, many of us would say, well, I'd like to get by there, but you know, my schedule so packed, I can't even get by there. Is your passport current? Are you willing to do that? Would you even want to say, hey, I can like, help out with A-Team. I can go down the hill and help with save a life. I can get involved at the Foundry, or I can go with Wellhouse Ministries, or Brother Brian Mission, or go down to the Christian Service Mission. All of these are right here in town. They don't require any funds. They just require some time. And so we sit there and say, is my passport current? Am I going to put enough margin in my life so that I can do some other things for the gospel? Is your passport current? And I want to tell you something else exciting When your passport is current, you are going to find an opportunity to rub shoulders with men and women around the world that God is using in a mighty way. We're beginning a partnership with a church in Montreal. Uh, The church is called La Chapelle, and uh, we're going to show you an introductory video uh, of the pastor uh, of that church, and just listen to this about this 45 seconds as we set this up. I'm David Potier, Uh, I'm the church planter of La Chapelle, a brand new church planted in the heart of the city of Montreal. Montreal is the least church city in North America, period. Montreal, the island, is 2 million people. The big metro area of Montreal is 3.5 million people. Less than 0.5% of them or uh, evangelical Christians. That has been called the darkest city in North America, Montreal. But don't you love to hear him when he gives his name? David Potier of La Chapelle. <laughs> you had me at La Chapelle on there. And this is the darkest city. I have an opportunity to work on the North American Mission Board, on their Board of Trustees, and there are people from Canada that are there. And when they talk about it, they would just say, that's, the, you know, that's, that's it. I mean, that, that's the home of darkness over there. And uh, what's happened is that people just are angry at churches. People um, have just rushed out of the churches. There are things that upset them, and so all of a sudden, they just did a mass exodus from churches. And in 2012, David and his wife felt called to go to Montreal. And they joined a church there and were mentored in that church. And then later in that, um, at that time frame, they just began to pray. They prayed for six months, and they had 10 people that came alongside of them and began to pray. That 10 grew to 30. And they began to pray about planning a church and starting a work there in the darkest city in North America. And so what they decided to do in, in 2013 is they would have public vision nights. So they went on Facebook, put a video out, and they invited people to come to a public vision night. Well, the very first night when they offered this, they had 150 people showed up. And then the second night, they took uh, out of those 150, 100 of them made a commitment to be a part of a core group. And then all of a sudden, they began to grow, and they grew to where they couldn't meet in the spot, so they then had to rent a school, and the number increased to 200. And so now they've got about 200 people in a core group, and they're ready to launch their first service. And in the darkest city in North America, they launched their first service. 500 people came to that launch of a service. Now, if you know anything about church plants, that's way beyond the norm. And they had 500 people that came. The next week, out of that 500, 350 of those said they wanted to be a part of the core, and one-third of those were non-believers. And they said, we want to be a part of this. And so all of a sudden it began to grow. And when it began to grow, they went to two services because they had so many people. Well, then as they outgrew that, the next year they had to plant a second church because they'd outgrown this location. And after two years, that church grew so much that they had to then plant a third church. And so today, they have three churches planted. And over the span of about three years, they planted three churches. They have 1,500 people that come together and worship. They've had over 450 baptisms in three and a half years in the darkest city in North America. They did a Christmas presentation with a gospel presentation this year and had over 3,000 people that came to listen to it. And things are rolling unbelievably. You see, God has got his hand on David and on that church. It's not really happening anywhere else around there, but it's happening there in his church. And so we have an opportunity to partner with them along with other churches that have partnered with him. And what it means when you say, is your passport current? It means that when they come to the GIC and then we come up with opportunities to go up there to minister, you get the opportunity to go and to be a part of that, to see that, to experience it. And then to go and help share God's love with other people. Jeremy just came back with a team coming back from Spain. And they were working with missionaries from sub-Sahara Africa. And all he could say in our staff meeting was his folks. He says, God is doing unbelievable works in Africa. See, there are things that are happening all around the world. But you just need to have your passport current to say, may God's calling me to do that. So in your worship guide, when you open up your worship guide, you'll see uh, on, really on that front page, it's got a place where it's got mission trips, and it's got 2018, it's got a link for that. I would encourage you today, go back home, click that link, look at all the different mission trips, and, and circle one or two and say, you know what, this is what I want to prepare for. And I want to get myself ready. I want my passport to be current so that I can be a part of that. All right, number five, the fifth measure was this. Am I close to someone far from God? Am I close to someone far from God? Let this year be the year that you get outside the Christian bubble of friendships and relationships and meet and befriend someone who doesn't know Christ and get close to them. And as you get close to them, then you get an opportunity to share your story and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So how do you tell your story? How do you do that? Well, Acts chapter 26 is a great place to look because in Acts chapter 26, you'll see the apostle Paul, as he's imprisoned in Caesarea, has an opportunity to tell his story but let me, first of all, give you some characteristics of your story. And what your story is, is your testimony. And there are three characteristics that you need to keep in mind when you, when you think about the power of your testimony. Number one, it has authority. It has authority. Chuck Swindoll said, the skeptic may deny your doctrine or attack your church, but he cannot honestly ignore the fact that your life has been changed. It's your story you're telling your story. And no matter if they don't like your church, they don't like your denomination, they can see that there's a change in your life. Now, some of you would say, well, Danny, there's not been a change in my life. Then you might need to check, have you ever been saved? Because if you've ever been saved, there has to be a change in your life. The Holy Spirit has to have done something in your life. But it has authority because it's life changed. Number two, it communicates. It communicates. You're expressing your heart in your life. And it causes people to be interested because it's your story. Everybody loves a story. And when you sit there and say, this is my story, it will communicate. And number three, it relates. It relates. It's a story that people can relate to. And what it does is it takes a holy God out of the pages of Scripture and places it into a real relationship inside your heart. And all of a sudden, they realize that this is more than just going to church and checking a box or just more of reading stories. This is truly a living God who comes into your life and changes your life. It's powerful, powerful. Tell your story. So that's the characteristics. Well, what is the contents of it? Well, the contents of your testimony has really three handles to it, and it's really easy to remember. Number one is B.C., before Christ. That is life before Christ. So you start out, you talk about your life before Christ. Now if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 26, the uh, Apostle Paul uh, is there in Caesarea, and he's, uh, he's in custody, and uh, there's a ruler uh, by the name of, of Felix, and Felix was there, and he was with him for a while, and then Felix got moved on to another job, and they brought in a man by the name of Festus, and Festus was ruling. Paul told his story to Festus, and then uh, Festus says, well, you know, I, I, you know, you probably just need to go back to Jerusalem. He says, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. So now he says, okay, we're going to send you to Rome. And when he goes to Rome, then uh, he's going to share his, his case there. And whether, you know, there's enough for them to indict him or not, because the religious leaders have, uh, have put charges against Paul. Well, uh, you know, the Festus he's, he's heard the story, but he can't really figure out exactly what Paul needs to be charged on, and all of a sudden, King Agrippa comes in town. King Agrippa and his wife Bernice come in town. King Agrippa is a guy who was king over a northern kingdom, okay outside of Jerusalem. But Emperor Claudius gave him a responsibility in Jerusalem, and his responsibility was twofold: you look after the temple, and you appoint the high priest. Wow. Well, that's about as big as it gets in in Jewish life and in religious life is the temple and who will serve as the high priest. And King Agrippa is the guy who had that responsibility. So he understood the Jewish people. He understood their customs. And so Festus says, I want you to hear this Paul. I want you to hear the charges they've made. You kind of need to help me with this on there. And so, What he does is he comes in chapter 26, verse 1, and he says, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. If anybody has a living Bible out there, I love what it says. He says, go ahead and tell us your story. Life before Christ. And let me tell you, when you tell your story, life before Christ, this is the question you gotta ask. What caused you to begin considering God as a solution to your needs? What caused you to begin considering God as a solution to your needs. We're gonna leave that up for just a moment. What caused you to begin considering God as a solution to your needs? We'll leave that up as I read this, because he says, "Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself, and then Paul stretched out his hand, and he made his defense. This is why we move our hands, okay, all right? (laughs) The Apostle Paul, he moved his hands. And he says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know their customs. Listen to my story and be patient. And then he tells his life before Christ. My manner of life for my youth was spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. And it's known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time that if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death I cast my boat against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Whoa. That's a pretty rough beginning. I went, and I arrested, and I killed Christians, and I was angry, and it was a fury about me. This is my life before Christ. So then you move to the second, and that is Conversion. And the second is how you came to know Christ. Once you talk about your life before Christ, then you come back and talk about your conversion, how you came to know Christ. And so when you talk about how you came to know Christ, two things to keep in mind. Number one, what motivated you to receive Christ? What motivated you to to receive Christ? And within your testimony, it should be about your sins. You know, I understood that I was a sinner. I understood that I had done things wrong and it separated me from God. But then second of all, also, is how did you receive Christ? So tell me how you did it. What motivated you to do it, and how did you receive Christ? Well, look what Apostle Paul says in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. So he tells the story about when he came on that road to Damascus and the bright light came and it was Jesus that was speaking to him. And as he spoke to him, he then uh, told him what he needed to do. And Paul shares his testimony about three different times in the book of Acts. And, and a part of one of his, of his testimony, in fact, you see it in, uh, in the others, is that he then went as a blind man there to Damascus, and he, and he went three days fasting, just trying to understand what was next. And God called a layman, Ananias, to come, and he laid hands on him, and it said the scales fell from his eyes. And he said that God's Spirit came into his heart, and then after that, that he was baptized. And so uh, all these steps began to take place for him. But at his conversion is where he heard the word of God and he spoke to his heart. And he knew that he needed to to make that decision. And so once you've explained that, you've explained your conversion, then you come to the third part, and that's the AD. That's life after Christ. So I've got BC, life before Christ. I've got AD, life after Christ. So what has happened after Christ? How did your life begin to change after you trusted Christ? How did your life begin to change after you trusted Christ? What was it that happened? And so in verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now, I've never stood up here and told you that I'm a prophet or anything like that. Or, um, but, um, man, I read this. And I've read this before, but it just jumped out at me. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now, I I don't know. You may be watching a live stream. You may just be sitting out here today. It may be safe to say that there's some of you here today who would say, I have been disobedient to the heavenly vision. It wasn't that you had a Damascus Road experience like Paul But there was a time that was clear in your your life that God clearly spoke to you. And God clearly told you a direction he wanted you to go, a decision he wanted you to make. It was as clear as could be. You may have even told some people. But you never followed up on it. You never followed up on it. So maybe this day, maybe this sermon, maybe this particular time at 1026 on this Sunday morning, that God is kind of tapping you on the shoulder as a reminder, saying, do you remember that? Do you remember what I told you? And to Paul, and, and to his credit, he looked at that king and he said, this incredible vision that I was given, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turned to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. So many people say, oh, Paul says just saved by grace and there's faith. What about works? Well, faith and works. He said, I came to them and told them about the gospel. And then when they received that gospel and they repented, then they did deeds in keeping with their repentance. Life would be changed. And he says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Finished his presentation. As he finished his presentation, as with anything, there will be consequences when you share your story. When you share your story, there are consequences, and there's two things that will happen. Number one is people will either either accept or reject Christ. Now, I didn't put your name in there. I put Christ. There will be people that you'll share their story, and they'll just sit there and tell you, no, I don't believe that. I don't want anything to do with that. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. You can still have friendships. You can still have boldness in sharing with people. And and it's not you, but it's Christ. And then some though we'll accept it. In this case, Festus interrupted him. <laughs> he interrupted him. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now, young people, I wish I could have it, and I know you can find it. Uh, there are a lot of different uh, Bible translations, and it was a Bible translation that translated this verse, and he says, your great amount of studying is causing you to go insane, that's a verse you share with your parents. Um, when they say, aren't you supposed to be studying? Hey, all I got to say is Acts 26, 24. Uh, this great amount of studying is just making my mind go crazy. I think I just need to watch some TV or something on there. So, uh, okay, that's a separate point. All right, but he says, you have studied so much. It's great learning. It's just making you go crazy. And look at the way Paul responded to the response. But Paul says, hey, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. That's good. All right. He said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. I'm just letting you know this is the truth. I'm telling you this is true, what I'm I'm sharing with you. But I know Festus is here, but my audience is really Agrippa. So then he turns, he says, For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner all these things i'm telling you this is not news to agrippa he knows who jesus was he knows he was killed he knows people have talked about him raising from the dead he knows all this stuff and then he says king agrippa do you believe the prophets i know that you believe he went for the close he went for the close he was closing the deal <laughs> he says do you believe i know you believe the prophets. Do you believe this? Well, there was an audience of people there, and they probably have never heard a person speak to a king like that. How impertinent can you be? He's like challenging the king. Well, King Agrippa quickly turned it and went back on the offensive. And he comes back, and he says in verse 28, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian. In a short time, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Are you going to take out this track and walk through a track and you think I'm going to pray a prayer to receive Christ? Are you going to take out a napkin and go out through a Roman's road and explain this to me and you think I'm going to become a Christian? Are you going to take a three circles presentation and you think at the end of that three circles presentation that I'm really going to become a Christian? Do you really think it's going to be that easy to persuade me? And what Paul said, I never noticed this until this week, and I'm sharing it with our worship planning team. Paul's response in verse 29, and Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And as he's speaking with his chains, it's almost as he raises his hands up and he says, hey, what, it takes a short time, or whether it takes a long time, whether it comes easily, or whether it comes through difficulty, I would hope that you and you and everyone around us would be just as I am. That's a believer in Christ. But I don't wish for you to be chained like I'm chained. And that's how I closed it. And that's why the second point is to be encouraged by the truth of short or long. Be encouraged by the truth of short or long. When Paul shared this story of conversion, his conversion, he was concerned about Agrippa's soul. And he didn't just tell the story just to tell the story. He didn't just tell the story to say, hey, I'm innocent. I shouldn't be arrested. He told the story so that he could focus in on Agrippa, and he wanted him To have a decision for Christ. He wanted him to come into a relationship with God. And so when he gave that statement, listen, it may be short, it may be long. Listen, I'd love for you to make a decision today for Jesus Christ, but I'm telling you what, if it takes you five years, 10 years, 15 years, that's fine as long as you make that decision for Christ. We'd rather it happen now But if you've got to deal with some things and wrestle with some things, I pray the Holy Spirit will continue to draw him to himself, and you will open your heart and do that. It may be short. It may be long. This is why under five, we say, build a relationship with someone who's far from God, and then share your faith. And whether it's short, where people would make decisions the first time you share the good news with them, or maybe it'll take them a long time to make that decision. Short. Paul, Silas, in Philippi, in jail. And while they're in jail, they're singing songs. And they're singing hymns and singing praises to God while they're imprisoned. All of a sudden, an earthquake happens. And the the walls are coming down. The chains are broken. And the jailer runs in there. And he's all nervous. And they said, hey, don't worry. We're still here. And that jailer says, I've been listening to you guys sing all this time. And you're singing about this Jesus. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Right there. Paul told him what it was. They took him to the house, and not only did the jailer make a decision, but it says, and his family made decisions. So everyone in the family came to know Christ and were baptized and moved on. And, man, what a day. He shared his faith, accepted Christ. This is the way it's supposed to work. Did it always work that way for Paul? No. Nah. He shared with Felix. He was there for a couple of years with him. Nothing happened there. He shared with Festus. Nothing happened there. He shared with Agrippa. Nothing happened there. Now, who knows down the road what happened, but at that point, they said no. It's going to happen. We don't do this so that we can get a 100% success rate. We do it because of obedience. And we share our faith with others and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the way Paul is. Hey, whether it's short or long, my hope is that all would come to know Christ as Savior. And it happens in your life sometimes it's short. We did a funeral not too long ago, Bonnie Powell, who passed away uh, in 2014, coming back from a mission trip in Peru. She was sitting next to a girl named Giannina. And as she's sitting next to who they ended up calling her, like Gina, uh, she was from Peruvian descent, but she lived in Chicago, but she didn't know Christ. And on that airplane, Bonnie shared her faith with this young lady. And this young lady made a decision to receive Christ as Savior. And when she received Christ as Savior, they uh, exchanged email addresses. And Bonnie continued to keep up with her all the way up even until her death. And a friendship was built just to make sure you continue to walk. And she has on there. It was that quick. You shared on an airplane, they made a decision. But all of them aren't like that. You know, research has shown that on an average, a person was shared with seven times before they made a decision for Christ. <laughs> on an average, a person was shared seven times before they made a decision for Christ. Well, Giannina, she was shared one time. She made a decision for Christ. That means it may be 13 times for someone else to get to the average of seven. You just may be a link in the chain. But you need to continue to share your faith with them. Um... You know, I had an opportunity to share uh, with a lady on an airplane coming back from a mission trip, and she prayed and received Christ right there. I had an opportunity when I was at Auburn in a fraternity to be able to tell people about Christ and try to live it out and explain what it was. And, uh, you know, the whole fraternity didn't come to know Christ by any means on that. <laughs> That's evident. Uh, but um, but you did. You just share. But then, 25 years later, one of my fraternity brothers came by and sat in my office here in this church. And he sat on the sofa and he told me about when he made his decision for Christ. And he thanked me for what I shared with him and what I was living out there in the fraternity. And it was many, many years later, other people had shared with him to where he made that decision for Christ. But he came back to thank me because I was just like one link in the chain. Tell your story. Maybe there'll be a harvest right there. Maybe there won't be. God's the one that does the saving. It's our responsibility to do the sharing. Let's tell our story. And you know the very last measure that we had? Uh, the very last measure we had is, what are you waiting for? And so it is, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? My hope is that you, we will live our lives like Matthew 9, 9. Matthew 9, nine is the principle that says as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Just like that. Whatever God's telling you, I encourage you to do that. Put your yes on the table and say, God, I'm ready to do that. You've got a story. Tell that story to others. Rise up and follow him. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we thank you so much that through the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, that we have an opportunity to come into a right relationship with you. And we pray, Lord, that when we make that decision, that we don't hold that story to ourselves, but yet we tell that story to others. And then, Father, that's our job is to spread the seed. And Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. You're the one that makes that seed grow and germinate and, and you pull them into your kingdom. We rejoice with that. But help us to be bold in telling our story and let other people know the things that you've done for us. And Lord, there are many of us could be sitting right here that said, my, man, I just, you know, it's that third part of the story about what Christ has done in my life that I need to clean up a little bit. And so help us all to be stronger followers, people who reflect who Christ is. And then as we tell that story and people see life change, they're not seeing us, but they're seeing Christ through us. And through both audio, what they're hearing, and visual, what they're seeing, they are then drawn to you to make that decision. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.